Now let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture readings for today come from the Common English Bible. All of our readings come from the Gospel of Matthew today. We begin with chapter 1, verses 17 through 25. So there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 generations from the exile to Babylon to the Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. He was thinking about this when an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. Joseph called him Jesus. Next, we turn to chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. Don't even... Begin to think that I have come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. I say to you very seriously that as long as heaven and earth exist, neither the smallest letter nor even the smallest stroke of a pen will be erased from the law until everything there becomes a reality. And now chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. Jesus sent these twelve out and commanded them, don't go among the Gentiles or into a Samaritan city. Go instead to the lost sheep, the people of Israel. As you go, make this announcement. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Then chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Sorry, 31 through 33. Now when the human one comes in his majesty and all his angels are with him, he will sit on his majestic throne. All the nations will be gathered in front of him. He will separate them from each other just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right side, but the goats he will put on his left. We continue with chapter 27, verses 3 through 5, 24 through 26, and 45 through 53. When Judas who betrayed Jesus, saw that Jesus was condemned to die, he felt deep regret. He returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders and said, I did wrong because I betrayed an innocent man. But they said, what is that to us? That's your problem. Judas threw the silver pieces into the temple and left. Then he went out and hanged himself. Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere and that a riot was starting, so he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your problem. All the people replied, Let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus whipped, then handed him over to be crucified. 
From noon until three in the afternoon, the whole earth was dark. At about three, Jesus cried out with a loud shout, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you left me? After hearing him, some standing there said, He's calling Elijah. One of them ran over, took a sponge full of vinegar, put it on a pole. He offered it to Jesus to drink. But the rest of them said, Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. Again, Jesus cried out with a loud shout. Then he died. Look, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised. After Jesus' resurrection, they came out of their graves and went into the holy city where they appeared to many people. And finally, chapter 28, verses 1 through 20. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. Look, there was a great earthquake, for an angel from the Lord came down from heaven, come to the stone. He rolled it away and sat on it. Now his face was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. The guards were so terrified of him that they shook with fear and became like dead men. But then the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here because he has been raised from the dead, just as he said. Come see the place where they laid him. Now hurry, go and tell his disciples he's been raised from the dead. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. I've given the message to you. With great fear and excitement, they hurried away from the tomb and ran to tell his disciples. But Jesus met them and greeted them. They came and grabbed his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers that I am going into Galilee. They will see me there. Now as the women were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. They met with the elders and decided to give a large sum of money to the soldiers. They told them, Say that Jesus' disciples came at night and stole his body while you were sleeping. And if the governor hears about this, we will take care of it with him, so you will have nothing to worry about. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were told, and this report has spread throughout all Judea to this very day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them. I have received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we begin the next installment in our series about the Gospels by turning to Matthew. Matthew has an interesting place in the Gospels. Its place is the first Gospel in the New Testament canon, acts as a bridge. Matthew uses a lot of fulfillment citations, directly citing the Old Testament and linking it to the New Testament. When we come to the jump, Matthew is there to help stick the landing. A few things can be said about the authorship of Matthew's Gospel account. As mentioned last week, there isn't much we know about the person who actually wrote the account. The name Matthew was often linked to the tax collector turned apostle because of a change from Levi to Mark. 
or Levi and Mark to Matthew in this gospel. However, the way it is written and the time it was written make that unlikely. He was likely a multilingual Israelite writing in Greek for a Jewish audience. The gospel itself has a very deep connection to Jewish tradition. and teaching, and is very much a Jewish gospel, so to speak. Matthew does seem to use Mark as a roadmap where we see many of the same events play out, but Matthew gives much more detail and adds much to the gospel narrative, and Matthew contains many unique elements. One of those is the birth narrative. As we started with our readings today, we get the tail end of the genealogy that begins Matthew. He notes 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, and 14 from the exile to the coming of the Christ. 14 is the numerical value of David's name in Hebrew and may have influenced the way the genealogy is structured. What we do get is a direct line from the patriarch of the faith to the greatest king, to the exile, and then to the Christ. This is an important part of declaring Jesus to be the Jewish Messiah. We then dive into the birth narrative, but not exactly the one we use for the Christmas nativity plays. Matthew lacks the circumstances of Luke's account, with traveling to Bethlehem, which we'll cover next week. Instead, we have the reference to Isaiah for the virgin birth and Joseph's dream. After this account, we get the visit from the wise men from the east and fleeing into Egypt. Another unique aspect of Matthew's gospel. After settling in Nazareth, we move on to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We meet John the Baptist and Jesus is baptized. Christ is driven into the wilderness. The account in Matthew is much longer than Mark, including Jesus quoting scripture when contending with Satan. We then have the first of five discourses in Matthew. The five discourses may have been laid out in five to mirror the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, and it begins with the Beatitudes. The section that I quoted for today from chapter 5 helps to highlight the deep respect that Matthew shows for the Torah, what we call the Old Testament. He hasn't come to do away with it, but he has come to fulfill it. What seems odd at first glance is that right after he says this, we immediately have Jesus giving what might be seen as new commandments. There are various you have said, but I say to you, statements where the scriptures are quoted. But we need to understand that Jesus isn't saying, don't listen to this anymore, but is offering new understanding of the scriptures, a deeper understanding, a new direction for a new time building on all of the law and the prophets, which highlights again that much of Matthew is expanding upon, building upon, Jewish understanding and tradition. Matthew quotes the Old Testament more than any other gospel author. Jesus also specifically commands the twelve to go out and teach among the Israelites and not the Gentiles or Samaritans in Matthew as seen in chapter 10. The message is from a Jewish teacher to the Jewish people. 
The way I see Matthew is that he is showing that Jesus was most definitely a devout Jewish leader, offering a new path forward for the faithful Israelites. There's a lot of conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders of the time. And this acts as a parallel for the conflict between emerging rabbinic Judaism and the Jewish Christians in the early church. Matthew sees Jesus as the true path for the faithful of Israel. The conflict is between the old way that has become corrupt and this new path that truly honors the Torah and the new path is through Christ. We here jump ahead. This isn't because there's nothing else to look at. No, Matthew devotes more time than any other gospel author directly to the teachings of Jesus. We see the narrative from Mark greatly expanded. We have many parables and teachings and other discourses, but I wanted to go to one of the biggest unique factors of Matthew, and that is the final discourse. The judgment of the nations appears only in Matthew's gospel. The human one, or son of man in other translations, will sit on the throne in judgment. All the nations will be judged, the sheep who will inherit the kingdom and the goats who will not. Unlike the earlier command to only go among the Israelites, now judgment is for all. Jesus teaches that those who did what they could for the least of you, that they did it for me. Those that ignored the least ignored Jesus. And they will go on to eternal reward or punishment. And this account only takes place in Matthew, but it greatly sets the tone for all Christianity. Another unique attribute of Matthew's account is the death of Judas. No other gospel has the death of Judas. Interestingly, Matthew portrays Judas as being filled with deep regret. He returns his payment for betraying an innocent man and hangs himself in despair. What's interesting is that Judas is portrayed much more harshly in some other accounts with John plainly calling him a thief. But Matthew shows a Judas who very much seems to reject what he has done. And I've always found that interesting. Because Judas very much becomes a villain, a byword for the ultimate betrayal. Yet Matthew shows him full of regret and really doesn't seem evil. More that he made a terrible mistake. That he was tempted and he failed. And Judas suddenly feels a little more human and a little more relatable. With that, we move on into the trial and the crucifixion, which I'll be looking at in each gospel because of the ways they differ from each other. Matthew follows much of the same pattern as Mark, including Jesus' last words. However, the trial contains something that is unique to Matthew. Pilate gives up, and he washes his hands of the matter. He declares himself innocent of Jesus' fate, and the people reply, let his blood be on us and on our children, which is a huge shift from Rome being responsible. And this has been used for a lot of anti-Semitic teachings over the years. But with Matthew, this transfers the blame onto those who refused to believe. 
It also sets up the next generation to be the ones to suffer the destruction of the temple because they rejected Christ. It calls upon the reader to re-examine who Jesus is by showing that those that rejected him did suffer. It makes a case that for the Jewish people, they can see what happened with the rejection. Now they should choose the good path, according to Matthew. Not that all should be condemned, but as an argument for Judaism. As we move along into the crucifixion, we have the same narrative from Mark, but now after his death, the curtain of the sanctuary is torn. The earth shakes, and the saints come out of their graves. The holy ones of Israel show up, the faithful among the dead. After Christ is raised, they appear as if to say, See, he is our Savior. With the resurrection, we have guards in Matthew only. The women come to the tomb, and when it opens, the guards fall to the ground, and a messenger tells them to go tell the disciples to meet Jesus in Galilee because he's been raised from the dead. Before they can even tell, Jesus appears to the women and repeats the message. Now, this is more important than it might seem at first. Because now, it isn't just an empty tomb, but they actually see Jesus on the way back. And this is important because Matthew also includes a rebuttal of a story that was still around in his day. That the story is that people stole the body while the guards were asleep. So Matthew explains how the story came about, that they were paid to say it. Matthew points out that it was those who refused to believe that started false rumors. And we finish with Jesus in the eleven on a mountain. And he commissions them to go and make disciples of all the nations. Now they are to go to everyone. We also get the only gospel mention of the Trinity. And Jesus on the mountain is the end of Matthew. I want to leave you with a few parting thoughts about Matthew. Matthew tells the story of a Jewish Messiah who can trace his lineage to Abraham and David. His story isn't just a story. It is a continuation of the story of Israel. It is the culmination of all the law and the prophets. It is that he has the story of what happens next as a people. For Matthew, this isn't just the story of Jesus of Nazareth, son of God. It is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who would bring about great change for Israel as God's chosen one. We can see where Matthew builds on Mark while also telling a story that only pertains to Matthew's gospel. Matthew wasn't writing to be the first gospel among many, but to be the deciding story of the life and ministry of a Jewish Messiah in Jesus. It was the good news for the Israelites, which became the good news for all the nations. So I encourage you to read Matthew for Matthew. Read it for the way that Matthew saw Christ in relation to the future of the faithful in Israel. Not combining the birth story from Luke with it, not adding to the crucifixion from the other Gospels, not adding anything about Judas from the other Gospels, but simply seeing the story that Matthew is telling. A story of Israel 
with a new teacher to be greater than Moses. A story about the future of a people. That we read the Gospel of Matthew as a book unto itself telling a unique story. And when we see how the Gospels can be opened when you take each one and let the author speak to their own experience with Jesus Christ, with their own voice, standing alone. Amen.